Well, it has been a very, very, very busy week. Um, actually, very busy last few weeks. But I am excited, have been excited about this new series of lessons. Uh, Peyton and I will be, of course, um, preaching these. Uh, Peyton actually came up with the topics, came up with what we're doing. So you already know it's going to be good. Um, but I, I think these are very important things that we're going to be talking about each week. Because I think these are things that, that you and I, we, we struggle with ourselves at times. We know people who are struggling with it that, you know, maybe people that you've invited to come to church before and they're like, you know what, I, 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 it's the same thing. I want to believe, but, and, and we're probably going to hit on some of those things um, in this series as well. So I hope that this will be an encouragement to you um, and, and hopefully it's something that you'll be able to share with others as well. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, uh, probably about a month ago, I would guess, Missy and I, we watched a 2016 movie. It was called Denial. It's based on a true story, and it's about Deborah Lipstadt. She is a historian, and she is a defendant in a libel lawsuit against, and this is Deborah Lipstadt, but against Holocaust denier David Irving. And he decided to sue her whenever she published in her book his falsification of history and saying that the Holocaust didn't happen. And, you know, it was uh, really the movies about this bitter trial. It's, it's really interesting how the whole thing came about um, and, and what they did. But you would think, you know, come on, this, is, this has got to be an open and shut case, you know. I've met a couple of Holocaust survivors before. Um, you know, they, they talked about Holocaust survivors in the movie, but they didn't put them on the stand. I won't ruin the movie for you as to why. Uh, some of you, you've been to Auschwitz. You've been to uh, Dachau and, and, um, and, and Buchenwald and some of these other concentration camps. And it's like, how is this even a question? But if you watch the movie, you'll see that it's not as easy as it sounds. That you have to prove without a shadow of a doubt that, that it, it didn't happen or that it did happen. And so it required tremendous effort, months of work, a brilliant legal mind. And in the end, fortunately, the judge saw that Lipsnat was correct. But what about the case for a biblical God? You know, there are people who say, prove, can you prove that there's a God? There are those who deny God. There are skeptics out there. And it takes a whole lot more than saying, well, you know, let me quote you a couple of scriptures. It takes more than saying, well, did you not see that beautiful sunset the other day? Amen. Believe me, folks, it takes more than that. It takes thought. It takes, it takes a wide range of ideas and evidence. And what do you do when a skeptic says to you, prove God's existence? How do you go about explaining that? The problem is that while truth is absolute, there are very few things in life where we have absolute proof on things. And, and we have, uh, for that reason, courtrooms, they don't require absolute proof in order to get verdicts. You have to prove something that it is 
beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to prove that, that there is what is most probable. And that means there is a certain amount of faith that is involved. There is always going to be this leap from, from truth and what you believe. And there's going to be a gap in there in, in absolutes. And it's not just for those who believe in God. It's also for those who do not believe in God. That we cannot possibly know every single detail. Every time, for example, you sit in a chair. Every time you decide you're going to go up a flight of steps, there's a, there's a certain amount of faith that is involved. Every time you go to a restaurant and they bring out your food and you decide you're going to eat it, there's a certain amount of faith that is involved. But what we do know is that we act despite what we don't know because of what we do know. Now, I'll let that sink in for just a little bit. We act despite what we don't know because of what we do know. And that is, folks, the essence of biblical faith. Biblical faith is not simply, well, I just believe and, and, and I, have no, um, I have no reason you know, whatsoever to believe. I just blindly follow. That's not what it's about. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, because there is an element of faith. For whoever would draw near to God, he must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, we can turn this around, and we can say, well, to the skeptic or to, to someone who denies the existence of God, then prove to us that there is no God. And they, most of these, will be very open and honest and say, well, I don't have absolute proof. In fact, many will say, I think it's just high, un highly unlikely that he exists, or that I don't believe that I have seen enough convincing proof in order for me to believe in God. And so both sides, there is a, a matter of faith that we have to apply as to whether we believe in God or whether we don't believe in God. But these two things are systems of thinking, and it takes contrasting. It takes, um, it takes comparing to determine which one of these make more sense. Which one of these things logically makes more sense? And so that's what we're going to set out to do. I want us to return back to this idea of prove God exists. A lot of times you will hear someone say, well, you know what? You wouldn't believe in the abominable snowman or the Loch Ness Monster unless you had a certain amount of proof. And therein lies a lot of the problem. Because many times people try to, to make God, and the Bible does not do this, but they try to turn God into some kind of being within the material universe. The claim is that God is being. That he is the ground and the condition for which all things exist. Those who do not believe in God, they simply believe the material objects of the world, they kind of are there on their own. There's a Latin phrase, it's ex nihilo nihil fit, and it means from nothing comes nothing. In other words, everything comes from something that already has being. And that's why we look at, for example, our planet. It points to a deliberate designer who not only created the universe, 
but sustains it today. The Earth's size and gravity holds this thin layer of, of mostly these, these uh, nitrogen and oxygen gases that, that only extend 50 miles from the Earth's surface. If it were any less than that, the Earth would not be able to be sustainable. We would, like, we would be more like the, the planet Mercury. If it were larger, then there would be free hydrogen, and we would be like the planet Jupiter. Again, neither one of these can, can places be lived upon. Earth is the only known planet that is equipped with the right mixture of gases that allows for plant, animal, and human life all to exist. If we were any further away from the sun, we would, we would freeze to death. If we were any closer to the sun, we would burn up. Even a fraction off, one way or the other, is, would be catastrophic to the earth. Our earth is on an axis. It goes around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And it gives us just the right amount of sun and cooling in order to be warm and to cool it off every single day. Our moon, and, and I know you're as disappointed as I am that Artemis did not get to go to the moon. But our moon is the perfect size and distance away from the planet Earth. It provides the right amount of gravitational pull that allows our waters to, to have tides. These tides are important to keep our waters from stagnating. But it's not so powerful that it, that it overcomes the continents. It's just at the exact right place. The moon, uh, scientists are convinced that our universe began with this enormous explosion of, of light and, and energy. And it's called the Big Bang. And if this is how it begins, let's just say that it did begin this way. We still have to answer the question of how did that light and matter all of a sudden have this combustion? How did it suddenly come to the point that it came? Astrophysicist Robert Jastrow, he is a self-proclaimed agnostic. He stated, the seed of everything that has, ha that has happened in the universe was planted in the first instant. Every star, every planet, and every living creature in the universe came into being as a result of events that were set in motion in the moment of the cosmic explosion. The universe flashed into being, but notice what he says. And we cannot find out what caused that to happen. Our universe operates on this uniform laws of nature that, that are amazing. All sciences, molecular biology, chemistry, physics, astronomy, and so forth, it hinges on consistent laws. Why is the universe so orderly? Why is it so reliable? Because it doesn't have to be. And that's what scientists are dumbfounded by. Why is it, why is it sticking to these laws, especially mathematical laws? The universe doesn't have to behave this way. Physicist Dave, uh, Paul Davies comments, he said, To be a scientist, you had to have faith that the universe is governed by dependable, immutable, absolute, universal, mathematical laws. Richard 
Fenneman, a, a Nobel Prize winner in quantum electrodynamics, he says, why nature is mathematical is a mystery. In fact, there are rules, the fact that there are rules at all, he says it's a miracle. And that's then when we point out things like Psalm 19, verse 1. A very ancient text that says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Tim Keller he illustrates it this way. He says, I want you to imagine and, and thinking about just things happen, everything happened by chance. He says, I want you to think about someone who's going before a firing squad. And, there, and there's 10 guys who are sharpshooters. And, and, and they're going to be the firing squad and they're only 10 feet away. And when they say fire, all 10 of them miss. All 10 sharpshooters miss from 10 feet away. Now, it's possible they all sneezed at the same time. It's possible they were drunk. But it would be more reasonable to conclude that there was some conspiracy. That there was something that was intended. That it was designed by someone. You think about all the laws of nature. The rules of mathematics. The order of the universe. You can come up with all kinds of theories, but it makes more sense that there is a divine creator and designer. Many atheists, they propose a multiverse theory. In other words, that there are other universes out there and surely there are other planets like Earth. There, surely there's at least one that, that is able to sustain life. But the problem with this, according to MIT professor Alan Lightman, he says that the argument doesn't have a shred of evidence and there's no way of testing it. In other words, you have to have a greater amount of faith to believe in that which has no evidence, no way of testing than to believe that there is a divine creator who did these amazing things. Lewis Thomas, he is a distinguished physicist. He wrote, I cannot abide the notion of purposelessness and blind chance in nature, and yet I do not know what to put in its place for the quieting of my mind. Let's kind of come in a little closer from the universe, and let's just look at our human bodies. Every cell in our bodies has this detailed instruction code that is comparable to a miniature computer. It's called our DNA. And those of you who are tech savvy, I am not, Paul can attest to this. But in order to write a computer program, it's made up of ones and zeros. I, I did know that. I just don't know how to do it. But there's all these numbers and they're put in a certain way to tell it what to do. Our DNA is very similar to this. It's made up of four chemical units that scientists abbreviate as A, T, G, and C. And there are three billion, get this, three billion pairs of these letters in every human cell. And the way this is designed, it tells our bodies what to do. It programs it. 
It's an instruction manual. How did this information program end up in the human cell? You cannot find this kind of instruction, precise information like this, without someone intentionally constructing it. The human brain. It processes an amazing amount of information. It takes in colors and objects that you see, the temperature around you, the pressure that you feel on the bottoms of your feet, the sounds around you, the dryness of your mouth, when you touch something and you feel the texture of it. It holds and it processes your emotions, your thoughts, and your memories. And at the same time, it keeps track of ongoing functions of the body, such as our breathing patterns and, and the movement of our eyelids, even the muscles in our hands and hunger. Our brains can process more than a million messages per second, and yet it quickly distinguishes those things that are important and things that are not as important. There is intelligence, the ability to reason, to produce feelings, to dream, to plan, to act. Nature reveals a God of intelligence and integral detail. A God of order and beauty. A God who is able to control the most powerful of forces. Marilyn Adamson was an atheist at one time, and she was bothered by people who believed in the existence of God. And so anytime someone told her that they did, she challenged them. And, and she said she, she was curious to see if any of them could convince her otherwise. Because, in her mind, she says, if I could conclusively prove to believers that they were wrong, then the issue is off the table, and I would be free to go about my life. She went on, after doing this for long periods of time, and she came to the conclusion that God wants to be known. And that he has surrounded us with evidence of himself to keep the question of existence ever before us. I think that's what Romans 1.20 is about. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all things that have been made. And therefore, he says, they are without excuse. Marilyn believes that this may be the underlying reason that atheists are so bothered when they hear there are people who believe in God. Because he is actively pursuing them. And she isn't the only one who has made that statement. There was another ex-atheist, you may have heard of him before, C.S. Lewis. And he said, he remembered night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, whom I earnestly desired not to meet, I gave in and admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Lewis went on to write a book entitled Surprised by Joy about his account of coming to know God. We don't have time to look at moral realism or consciousness or reason or beauty things that just continue to stack in favor of reasonable doubt. 
In fact, these arguments are more rational. It takes a less leap of faith to believe that there is a divine creator of all of these amazing things than to believe that there is not a God. Ultimately, unbelief in God is an act of faith because there is no way to prove that the world and all that is within it and its deep mathematical orderliness and matter itself all simply exist by their own as solid facts with no source outside of themselves. And so Timothy Keller, he then issues a challenge. And he says, if the theory that God exists leads to us to expect what we find whereas the belief that there is no god does not why not move ahead at least tentatively by adopting the theory that god is there yes i believe there is a god i believe it is absolutely reasonable to believe in the existence of god I think our universe and, and our bodies and, and the things that we see about us and the things that we experience, I believe these are proofs that there is an intelligent, higher, ordered being that has done all of these things. And you may be here and you may be struggling with that yourself. Maybe you grew up in church your whole life, but you know what? You still struggle with that question of, is there a God? And I'll tell you this, you wouldn't be the first one to do it. But I encourage you to look into these things and to see that there is an intelligent, ordered God that is ever before us. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this day and we give you thanks. We thank you, Father, that you allow us to come to know you. But Father, we also, while we realize that there are times we have to stop and we have to think about you. We have to truly look into this, this order and the, the amazing way that you have created our universe and our world and even ourselves. Father, those who truly want to seek you, I believe that they'll find you. And Father, I just pray for the hearts of each individual that's in here today, people who may be struggling, people who aren't real sure, people that may be on the fence, and Father, we, I just pray somehow, some way, that you will reveal yourself to them. Father, just continue to be with us as we represent you. Father, help us to always do our homework and to, to understand how awesome you are and just what amazing things that you have created. And Father, from those things, help us to come to trust in your promises and to trust in all the good that you want to bring for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.